Hello, my friends, Katie Day with the Moving to Texas team here with another episode of the Real Advice podcast. Excited to welcome this week's guest. If you are a fan of HGTV, then you may actually know who he is. But what you may not know is he is a broker, a team leader, a real estate agent, a husband, a father, a soccer fan, a collector. If you're watching the video, you can see over his shoulder a bunch of collectible items. But I'm excited to welcome this week's guest, who is a friend of mine, Jesse Rodriguez from California. What's going on, man? How are you? What's up, Katie? Man, that was a good intro. Can I get a copy of that? Like, that's, yeah, I'm feed I'll, that I'll to just, everyone. Yeah, I'll just cut <laughs> it out and then you can like play it for yourself. Like, I am a great person. I am a great father. Sir, I'm, I'm going to add that to my bio. I was like, oh, I forgot I'm a collector. Like, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I like comic books and baseball cards. <laughs> I, um, I always like the fun things. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm like sometimes have difficulty like talking about myself, right? Like, and so my bio is literally like, I enjoy, um, you know, meeting realtors. I enjoy eating tasty food and selling houses. I think it's like the three <laughs> bullet points in my in my bio for like speaking engagements. And then like you see someone, it's like Jesse Rodriguez is a renowned, you know, and I'm like, just, I'm not that important. So you know, it's funny. So I'm the same way. I don't like to talk about myself. I've struggled with it for a long time. I've, I've never had a big like push on social media because of like it seems like the best ones are the ones that talk about themselves. Um, but. I hired someone to do my bio and it sounds like that. It's like Inc 500 fastest growing companies, you know, host of HET. It's like, Oh God, I cringe when I read it. Like <laughs> it's also sometimes when you have someone do that for you or like someone like write down all that stuff, you're like, man, I've like accomplished a lot. Right. Like, yeah. so it's like, it's, it's the, the, the two sides of the same coin, right? Like, sure. like ah, man, like I hate talking about it, but like, damn, this, that's, that, that is impressive. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Cause we forget, like we just put our head down and grind every day. And it's so, like, oh yeah, that happened. I was 30 under 30 with, for NAR. That's right. Well, that was a while ago, right? Just I'm fucking, I'm old now. Yeah. <laughs> 11 years ago. I'm 41. I mean, look at this. I, I didn't shave on purpose so I could just look grungy. Like I was like, I want to look tired. <laughs> I want to look tired. Oh wait, that's just how I look. That's All how right. I look. Three so for, for people that may not know you, uh, who are you and how did you get into real estate? So, well, I'm Jesse Rodriguez. I'm based in Southern California. I got into real estate when I was 19 years old. Um, I was in college. I was joining a fraternity. And when I was joining, these two guys were like, hey, I own a mortgage company. Does anybody want to intern? So there, and they said, you know, have to be a Spanish speaker. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'm a Spanish speaker. I don't know anything about loans. And I started cold calling for them at 19 years old, got my license at, I think it was like 20, 20 and a half started doing mortgages as their like junior loan officer mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, continue to go to college until I graduated yeah. and was doing loans. I, I started college in 2000, um, ended up in 2005. So right at the end of my college career, decided to go off on my own and I opened up my own mortgage company. <clears throat> you know, that was where the boom days, 2005 was yeah, sick, good a lot of, lot of money. Um, I was young. I was like 23 and I was just, you know, kind of crushing and, and having fun. Um, then the market crashed in 2007. So I started dating my wife, Tina, throughout college. We got married in 2007, bought a house in 2007, lost everything in 2007. Um, similar to a lot of people out there, right? Yeah. That if, if they've been in the industry long enough. So we lost our house to the bank, back to a foreclosure, a short sell, moved in with her mom and dad. Um, car got repossessed like straight 
bottom, like dropped out, like young, thought I was on top of the world, didn't have enough money saved, had some money saved, but I ran through it. Like when the banks started imploding Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and going under, I was like, oh, that's no big deal. We'll move these files to another bank. And then the next one, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I had no comprehension to the fact that like the market was going to do what it was going to do. Like, and, and, and thinking back, I don't think anybody really thought it was going to go to the point where like zero transactions were going to happen and the whole world got foreclosed on Yeah, uh, in hindsight. So, um, basically started over in 2007, um, kind of had a big ego check, decided to go get a job as a loan officer, um, getting paid a $2,000 salary, like on a draw yeah. after, after making 40,000 a month. Um, took a job selling timeshares at night. Like I was like, you know, I've always- How was been, that? Dude, it was hard. I realized I don't know how to sell. That's for sure. I, Cause that's, I'm like, at least with real estate, when you're selling houses, like that's something that people need. It was and like timeshares. I'm like, I, I don't, were you one of those that it's like, I mean, I guess it was in Southern California, but like, it's not like you're at Mexico and they're just coming for like a free bottle of tequila, right? No, like, like no resort, like in a mall, like, <laughs> you know, like up, like in an office space on the second floor of like a mall, yeah. people coming for, I don't know, like a gift card of some sort. Like there was some free gift to come and they would provide dinner. And there was this whole script on how to like, you know, kind of get to know them yeah. and then ask them about their vacations. And then you're selling this dream of like, Hey, you're staying at like a Hilton, you know, but imagine if you bought this, you could be at the Marriott in Hawaii yeah. over and over again or whatever. I don't even remember what brand it was. I only lasted one month. Okay. Um, I was like pretty damn terrible. Never made a sale. Um, I would literally talk people out of it. I was like, I don't really know if this is a great deal. Like for you to be honest, like <clears throat> I'm so, too honest. I'm too honest. That's my problem. <laughs> it's like, I just, I, I honestly really like realized I'm not a salesperson. Like I'm a yeah. people person. And you're only going to buy from me if you like me and if you trust me. And I'm only going to sell a product that I believe in that I, you know, which ended up being real estate, which I I did believe in real estate. So the mortgage job thing during the day, timeshares at night, stressed out, living with Tina's mom and dad, and just kind of trying to find what is the next thing. Um, I saw, you know, I would check the MLS and I would say, damn, the only agents that have business are these foreclosure agents, these REO yeah. agents. And like in SoCal, it was dudes like Art Acosta and Pete Neary, uh, Michael Novak Smith. Like these are straight up like the legends and OGs of the REO days. Like I would, like I need to have baseball cards of them made and put, and put like, because <laughs> that's stats, what, right. Like that's what they sold average price point. It's like 700 listings at one time yeah. or whatever. But um, in 2008, these were the only dudes. Like if you went through 50 listings, like six people had all 50. Yeah. And I literally like went downstairs one. I, I would, so I would do this research at night till like four in the morning. Like I was determined to get back on my feet. And I told Tina, I said, okay, I figured it out. I'm going to become an REO agent. And she's like, what the fuck is an REO agent? You know? And I was like, real estate owned, duh. You know? <laughs> and, um, I started signing up for like these stupid little like lists, like pay $50 and we'll give you a list of every bank. And you need to register on those banks. So I yeah. lit- literally did it. Um, I joined a website called, um, I think it was like reonetwork.com. And it was like $200 a month. And asset managers find their agents on this site, right? Like I started buying into everything that people were selling. Yeah. Um, Tina had a job. She was a marriage and family therapist. So we were making a little, you know, three grand, five grand a month. 
So I was like pulling it from her to try to invest, to try to rebuild yeah. myself. Um, and within like four or five months in, someone reached out to me. It was an asset manager at a GMAC in Dallas. Um, her name was Kelly King. And she called me and said, hey, I found you on REO Network, which I was like, oh, shit, it worked. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she's like, I have a listing in Southern California. It's in Big Bear. Do you cover that area? It was like two hours away from me. You're like, yes. I was like, I fucking love Big Bear. Like, are you, are you kidding me? I know Big Bear, yeah. you know, and uh, drove up there, was so excited. Like Tina went with me. Like, I was like, this is the start. It's like, I look back and like the excitement of new is so freaking cool. Like to like, like I was just like hope, like I'm going to do this. You know, I show up to the house. I go through the series of whatever instructions they gave me, you know, run back down the hill email. Cause it was like no portals or websites back in 2008 yeah. for REO. Not like there is now for everything. And so I'm emailing Kelly, like it's vacant. It's this, it's that. And then she changed my life. Like it was like the next day, here's another one. The next day, here's another one. Uh, first four properties I had were from like, you know, LA on Wilshire Boulevard to Temecula to Big Bear, like every price point, over. Yeah. everywhere. And I was so early in the REO, like even though there was the big dudes, right? It wasn't mass yet. Like it wasn't every realtor yeah. saying, I want to be an REO agent. From there, I ended up getting the Wells Fargo account, Fannie Mae and all this stuff. And um, by like 2010, I had you know 500 listings. Um and that was, that was kind of it. Like it was the change of like, okay, I'm, I'm a full-time realtor. Um, yeah. I'm selling a shitload of houses. I never even sold a house until the day I got that first listing. Like I was a, a mortgage guy and yeah, my identity since then has, I always say like the riches are in the niches. Like I'm a niche agent. I don't do standard business other than maybe for like close friends or family. I only work with corporate clients, banks, hedge funds, investors, and you know, the journey has continued to evolve, but I'll let you ask me the next question in case yeah. you want to go there. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Well, and so I think, you know, um, in having some experience with similar clients, right. One of the things that I think you figure out is like the systems, right? Like you've got to have some sort of systems because it's so much different than, you know, working with a friend or a family member or just a random person or a, a random buyer or seller, right. And so what were some systems that you developed along the way or what are some systems today that you would recommend? Like these are things that whether you're doing hedge funds or, you know, banks or stuff like that, corporate clients, or you're doing regular retail sales, like what are those systems that you would recommend people to implement? So, okay. So I've always been kind of a Flintstones type agent. Like I'm not like, you know, you know, I call you all the time and I'm like, what's that CRM? How does that work? Um, you put and, people into it. That's <laughs> unreal. Do you remember that text message where I, I was do. like, wait, wait. And it contacts them. Oh, <laughs> mind blown. Um, so, and, and so I'm not that like I'm old school in the sense that it's like, I use a, a Google doc to like keep track of everything. I still don't use CRMs, uh, because I don't have thousands of clients. I may do thousands of transactions, but yeah, remember it comes from like the one contact or the five contacts. So it lets me just go deeper. I have to go deeper in my relationship with those handful of people, not necessarily like hundreds or thousands of past clients. But I'll tell you one thing that I did early on, I've always been willing to spend money and make less. Like, and what I mean by that is I've always had a lot of assistance. So okay. I've never been good at automation, right? Which is the smart way to do it. 
but I've all, like, I have a lot of people around me. I think right now I have seven assistants and not in, not VAs, um, you know, out of the country, like actual people that are that up until a year ago were in my office. Now they're working from home, but my salaries are high. Um, because I just like, I take myself and I duplicate myself yeah, over and over and over again so that they understand the model. I definitely kind of follow the old book. I don't know if you remember a book called the E-Myth. Um, it came out, man. Um, it's gotta be probably around the O five days okay. and it was a book about systems, you know, yeah. and, and that every person should have like a task, you mm-hmm. know? And so I kind of created that concept. So it was like, okay, this is where the bulk of my business is coming from. It's coming from a foreclosure client. These are the 20 tasks. Okay. You are going to do these five and now you are going to just do these five. So it creates a way that we can be just super like, ex- like experts in those tasks. Yeah. Now it all, it also leaves a gap though. That person's sick. Now, no one knows those five tasks that need to be completed. Yeah. Right. So over the years we've cross-trained everybody. Um, there's a, this account has more business than this account. So then there's like people get lopsided. So then we have to swap around, but I've been just heavy into like people forever. Um, I would say though, in the last like 12 months, I've been getting heavy into technology. Like I finally have like sold like, okay, I probably should use this. I probably should use some automation. Um, but all that's coming into standard cell business and like seeing what you've done with your team and going like, I mean, could you imagine Katie? I've sold probably 3000 homes and I've double ended like 20. Like we've never, I've never called a buyer back. It was not my model. My model was to only work with sellers. <laughs> oh, that, that like hurts my heart. I know. Like I need partner agents everywhere. Like, yeah. I mean, um, I, and, and not to say I haven't tried, I've tried building a team five different times in the last, you know, 12 years. Um, it just, because I, I'm so focused on corporate clients, I'm not good at that side of it. Right. So I've always just been like, Hey, I'll pass my leads to whoever pay me a referral fee. If you can, please like, like even the idea of tracking that seems like I don't want to track that. Yeah. But now I'm like, okay, this is crazy. How many thousands of transactions that I could have made, you know, 20, 30% referral fee on did I not, not capitalize could have went into a database. Like it could just recycle forever. Um, while realtors are struggling to find 10 deals a year, you know, I do. I think I've closed, uh, I don't know, 170 this year already. Like, yeah. it's so yeah, I don't know if I answered that question, but well, no, people, I think, I people, think people, people, um, are a system, right? People. And I, and I'm sure your team has lots of different things that they do in their daily basis. Right. And things in their, in their, you know, daily tasks and stuff like that, that they're using specific things. So while you may not personally be using them, right. Like they are being used in your business. I know, that, I know that, right. hundred percent from, from even talking to some of your, your team members. So, um, you said that you've, you've tried, you know, doing the team thing multiple times and it just, it hasn't worked out. What, what do you think's like maybe one or two of the biggest mistakes, like, uh, and, and with that being said, like Jesse has a brokerage, right. And has, has a team in that it's just not a team in the traditional sense of like, you know, they're reporting to him every day kind of thing. Right. Um, you have a great group, right. And, and have camaraderie and, and all that. Right. But like the traditional team of like Jesse Rodriguez and co, right. Like, what what are some mistakes that you would caution people against if they were starting their own team today? So I think like I took taking a team very serious and that's why I never really did it. Like I feel like if I was going to become a team leader, there is a lot of accountability to me. There's a lot of requirements mm-hmm. that I need to do to be a real team leader. Like you see people pop open teams all the time, all the time. and they don't, 
right? And they don't, there's no value to the teammates. They're not providing, let's say, systems or leads or just support community, yeah. right? It doesn't even have to be leads. Like it could just be culture. Yeah. Um, and so as I was building Cal American Homes back in 2007, so I, I had four buyer's agents once the REO started really picking up. And yeah. what it was is I did not, one, I didn't want to have to manage to the point where, you know, it's like everybody had to always come to me. So I created the hybrid model. Like I was like, Hey, look on your own personal business, you're on 80, 20. If I give you a lead, it's 50, 50. If you do an open house on one of my listings, I don't want to have to track that. You can have that as your own lead. Like I literally was like, the only lead you get from me is if it's a sign call, I put it into boomtown, I dish it out to you. Like, I'll know that that's a lead, right? That was the extent of my whole team. Like, but really what happened was as I started growing, like, so the culture was always there. Like mm -hmm. I was in the yeah. office every day. And the one thing about being a top producer, if you're doing a lot of activity, a lot of transactions, you're leading from the front, right? Like I'm a general that's on the front line. So there was this energy that I was always giving out that people wanted to be around, even though I was like, I've never done a scripts training. I've never done like, but I didn't, I did do a scripts training. It just wasn't called a scripts training. It was us eating lunch at the center table and somebody saying, man, I had this scenario. And I'm like, well, did you ask this, this, and this? Well, no. Well, wh why not? You got to take them through the journey. Like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. What's their motivation? You know? And then people are like, oh, dude, thanks, Jesse. That was awesome. And next time I talked to him, I did that. And I was like, oh, huh. Maybe I can be a leader to people. Yeah. So as Cal American, I said, you know what? I want to grow this and start recruiting agents around our environment, like hanging out. Like I was always like when the market was tough and brokers couldn't afford to do Christmas parties. Well, I was selling hundreds of deals. So I was like, we're throwing Christmas parties. We're having award banquets and we're going to do lunch every single week, once a week on Wednesdays. And I've been doing that for 10 years now. Right. Uh, or not every week, but pretty damn often. That's for sure. Um, and so like, I've always built around this idea of just culture, culture, culture. So if you're, if I was going to be a true team leader, like today, like if I was said, okay, I have hundreds of listings, I want to be a team leader. Then I feel that stress. And I struggle with the idea of like, um, how do I, how do I create value? Cause you know, I'm, so I'm licensed in a bunch of States, um, which, you know, Katie, so for the audience, we're in California, Nevada, Colorado, and Texas. And we have leads essentially, right? Cause we have houses. So there's probably some calls, but I'm not building a team anywhere. Cause I'm like, how do I give my culture? I don't know if I can, cause yeah. you're not around me every day. All right. So switching gears a little bit and talking a, a little bit about the flip side of things, right. And, and the investing. And so when did you get started doing flips and doing that, you know, on a, on a higher level? So I started flipping in 2010 um, when I was still doing REO and then working mm -hmm. with hedge funds. And because I had a large team and I've had one forever, we would just come across deals. Yeah. You know, th those were the, I'm sure you see 10 deals a year at least, right? That you could be the one to buy it or you pass it on to one of your investors in your pool. So for years, I had probably five or six investors that I would sell 50, 60 deals a year to because I had so much REO inventory. Mm -hmm. After a few years of saving money, I finally said, okay, I think I'm ready to learn. I had a guy that was an investor buying for me that I became friends with, and he mentored me through the process. Um, it said, hey, instead of you buying this deal, I'd like to buy this deal. And he was like, cool, I'll give you the money for the deal. And okay. so our relationship stayed in a way that he could still make money off me and the transaction without the stress of him doing it. Yeah. Um, in the early years, it was like three a year, like in 2010, 2011. 
And then basically foreclosures went away. So in 2012, my inventory was down to, to nil. Yeah. And I said, oh shit, I got to figure out how to survive. <laughs> and the evolution of Jesse was like, well, I've done a handful of flips. I made 15, 20,000 a flip, right? Because it wasn't this thing where everybody's like, oh, you make 200 grand a flip. Like I was flipping houses for years at the equivalent of what like your commission is on a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah You know, yeah. it was just another way to basically make a commission and not have to go and, and knock down the doors of regular clients. Like that has always been my goal is to not have to work with, with standard clients if possible. Um, so it went from like three to five to 10, you know, for years. And then I got up to like the 30 a year number, had a lot of capital behind me, but it was a, I mean, I'm on my 10th year flipping. Yeah. So it, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and you make every mistake, but you know, now it, it's at the point where it's on autopilot. I don't see half my flips. I don't see them when we buy them. I don't see them by the time their rehabs are done. I cherry pick the ones that are the prettiest houses that have the need the highest design. Yeah. And those are the ones that you see on sh- social media. Like <laughs> all the other turn yeah. and burn ones, I don't really talk about because it's just in and out quick, regular repeat type of uh, rehab, get it on the market, try to make 30, 50 grand and, and move on. It's just another income stream. Yeah, for sure. Well, and so, I mean, I know that that well, from what I've seen on the the sexy houses on social media, um, a lot of what y'all doing are doing now, it's like all different, you know, age of home and stuff like that. And so did y'all specifically like for vintage flip, right? The the TV show, was that specifically like, okay, Hey, we're going to do this because it's for the show or had y'all like focused in on kind of older homes for a little while. So, you know, here in California, if you think about it, right. We don't have the oldest homes in America. That's for sure. Yeah. Not, not like if I was in like Charleston, um, but you know, for, for the concept of vintage flip. So I was already flipping a lot of houses. I guest starred on another HGTV show called flipper flop, um, which I partnered with Tarek on a house. Okay. And the whole, the whole episode was about he and I, um, he and I were partners for years. We owned a bunch of rental properties together. We were buddies. So I guest starred on that show. The producers were like, um, Hey, that was a fun episode. And it, it was a vintage home. Okay. So they're like, is this your specialty? And I was like, it's not my specialty, but I definitely have a love for historic houses. Like yeah. Tina and I, we live in a 1908 craftsman home that we restored. So like, we love, love old houses. And they said, well, why don't we try to pitch the network on a show, you know, called vintage flip where you flip historic houses in SoCal. And we got picked up. And so I had to specifically find homes that fit that buy box. That's for yeah. sure. Like let's say on an average year of the 30 flips I did, maybe five were vintage. Okay. So at um, least there were some, it's not like you were like, well, shit, now I've got to find the old homes where now I, I have to <laughs> learn what vintage means. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, it, so, but it was hard. I mean, yeah. to fit something that would fit the buy box that I could make money on. Right. I mean, I could buy 12 vintage homes. I just would lose a hundred grand on every one of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it became, it was, it was fun because I had to get better at buying, yeah. you know, I had to get better at my research, better at my marketing, at my direct mail, um, you know, direct to consumer. So, um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was a neat experience because those homes had so many issues from foundation to electrical, to roofs, right. To the side. I mean, they all the do, right. Like there's no, there's no hundred old home, hundred year old home. That's like in mint condition today. Ever. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Not that they're selling for 60 cents on the dollar. That's for sure. At least. That too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it made me a better flipper. That's for yeah. sure. Cause now all of a sudden when I bought a 1970s or 1980s home, I was like, this is easy. Like, let's knock this out in three weeks. <laughs> yeah. The windows are the only thing that's an issue on this house. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. So 
I, I find, and I, I ask this a lot to people that are active investors or, you know, do a lot because I feel like a lot of investors or, and I, I should use air quotes, investors, right. Mm-hmm. will call agents and they will, you know, tell them like, well, I don't, I, I want to go see this property, but I'll only work with you if you bring me a property or only work with you on this deal, you know, or they'll call and ask for like comps, right? Like I feel like that happens a lot. And it's like always really? new agents, right? Like I don't I don't get those calls, at least anymore, right? But like it's the new agent that you're like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna go give Jesse all these comps and like I'm comping a property, comping a property over and over again. And then it's like you never buy anything, right? What advice would you give to a real estate agent of like okay. questions that they should ask to understand if an investor is someone who's like a legit investor or not? So I think I'd go right into like, hey, can you provide like, so always excited because you want to trick me into thinking that you care. So if I was the the agent, you know, and you're the investor, I'd be like, oh my God, Katie, you're an investor. That's, I'm so excited to work with you. Okay. So you want me to do some comps, do some research. I'd be so happy. I want to get to know the kind of deals that you do. Can you give me some addresses on some houses that you've bought, fixed and flipped already? I want to look them up. I'll find the, some before photos, some after photos, um, right? You would probably, if you were real, you'd say, of course, yeah. right? If you're like, uh, um, um, I've never done it, but I'm pretending. Yeah. Then, and I would actually like, it's okay if someone's new. Yeah. But I would want to get that out of them. Like, I'd be yeah. like, you know, like, okay, so you don't have any. So have you done any deals yet? You know, and if they were honest, right? Because you can't like avoid that. Like, either you have proof or you don't. Or you don't. Yeah. And, and if they're like, well, I partnered with someone else on deals, cool. Send me those addresses. Like, there's something to be yeah. sent. Um, and then, so let's assume they do have it, right? Well, I've only done two. Here they are. Like, awesome. Like, if you've done two and I'm a newer agent, what a great marriage to happen because let's grow together. Um, and I think like, you know, the, so why I've been a niche agent for so long, why you've been a niche agent in the past is that we understand we don't get paid a ton of money for the volume that we get. And I think what kills me when an agent wants to work with me as an investor and they're like, well, I want the relist at six. You know, and you're like, hey, look, I know we all coach with Tom Ferry, right? And we've all been trained to go for the six, but I want to have a relationship with you this year. Like I could probably get you five listings. I need you to work with me. Like, will you do it for one and a half on your side? Uh, The market's super hot right now. Let's go two on the buy side because I need that extra one and a half in my pocket to help make that deal make sense, right? And just like the hedge funds that I work for, I get paid 1% on the listing. Like it's not a lot of money, but when you close 50 deals in one month or 35 deals in one month, it stacks up to a nice paycheck Mm -hmm. and I'm not running around doing, you know, CMAs all day long or going to people's homes at night. So, um, it's, it's all about being that agent that really just extracts the info. So I'd be like, give me proof of model. How many have you done? If you haven't done many, that's okay. And then, and then establish the relationship. Like, okay, so you want me to find you deals? Well, if I find you deals, then what do I get? Like I can tell you that investor I worked for in the beginning and I'm not seeing this model anymore. So I think we should bring this back. So when I was selling the REOs, like I didn't have enough great deals in my inventory that I could sell like a ton to this guy. So I would do 50 or 60 flips a year with him, but I would basically act like I was part of his group. So I, as the agent would write offers on his behalf and be a finder for him to other agents on the MLS. And I'd be like, Hey, this is Jesse Rodriguez. I'm with ABC Corp. Uh, we own a ton of houses right now. We have 50 flips going and I would send the list, right? Like these are all of our current projects addresses. Cause I'm trying to sh- show you that I'm real. 
yeah. right? Um, I would get our proof of funds, right? R, R, it's his proof of funds. I pretend I'm part of it. And then say, you know, here we have $4 million in the bank. We're looking to buy some more. Um, I'd like to buy your listing and um, you can represent us on the buy side, right? So if you think about it, if I'm acting as the buyer and I'm letting you double end it, where do I get my benefit on this transaction? Well, it's on the relist. Yeah. I would take every relist. So a good agent like yourself would say, hey, Jesse, well, yeah, man, I'll represent you on that deal, but I want the relist. And then it was up to me to be like, well, I can't get you the relist. We want to control all of our transactions, but I can tell you this. So assuming I'm going to sell it for 300 grand, 2% is 6,000 bucks. What if I get you like 3,500 bucks now when we close on it? So, and very rarely did I get an agent that cared enough about, I want my sign in the, it was like, Oh, you're yeah. gonna give me four grand now? Yeah. All right, cool. Buy me out of it. Like, so I had this buy you out of the listing fee concept that I would just build into the deal. And when I would go back to my investor, right, all he cared about was his net number. Yeah. So if I had to pay you four grand more, I needed to just get that house for a little bit better deal. Or I had to prove to my investor that I was going to get a little tiny bit more on that relist price. Yeah. Right. So for years, I was the finder. Um, I would like do all the rehabs or like source the rehab crews for him. Yeah. And then I would get the relist. And so it's like, it's like I was a partner on 40 or 50 flips a year, even before I became a flipper. Yeah. Like, and I'll tell you what, I'm not seeing that anymore. Like everybody that's submitting offers on my stuff are like wholesalers. They're just, yeah. so it's kind of the same concept. If you think about it, I just had the buyer built in yeah. that I was buying for, but we weren't doing the double escrow and stuff. He literally was the one that was buying. Like I keep wondering, I've been meaning to teach this. So your, your audience is going to be the first, like agents finding that up and coming investor that maybe has enough money for one deal or two deals. Um, sorry, I'm like circling and going off, right? The second thing to ask that investor is proof of funds, yeah. right? Do they have money? And if they don't, they need to be honest because they don't have to have cash. Hard money loans are phenomenal these days. Like yeah, no one listening to this should be like, I hate buyers that have hard money loans. Like hard money loans are the greatest thing to leverage. And if there, if agents in our audience here want to be investors and stuff like that, I can connect them with hard money loans. Like I'm a big believer that if you are a licensed real estate agent and you are not buying property to hold or to flip, you are an idiot, I-D-I-O-T. Um, and I don't mind saying that because why the hell are we going to work in this industry for 20 and 30 years selling homes for everyone else and we don't ever acquire anything? That is nuts to me. Yeah. So, you know, Ask them for proof of transactions, ask them for proof of funds. And then if they're young and don't know, fucking coach them, yeah. control the narrative. This is how it's going to be, Mr. Investor. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, right? And a little while ago, I said, reduce your commission. Well, if you're the freaking in charge, then you yeah. control, you control your commission. This is what it is. This is this how is it works. A hundred percent. Now, if I come to you and I've got volume, I'm going to get your commission down. But when <laughs> Jesse, who was a newbie, 12 yeah. years ago, could have I used, I would have taken one and a half percent on listings all day long to get my sign in the ground, right. To get potential buyer leads. Like I have a, I know a local friend here that also worked with this same investor. I would do about 50 deals a year. He would do 50 deals a year. And he was good. He was a good agent. He was much better than me actually, <laughs> where he, when he would take the relist, he'd actually answer his phone and he would get buyers. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, Katie, he built a business of like a hundred buyer deals a year right? Built a team off of it, made so much money. He started flipping like 50 deals a year, a hundred deals a year. Like this dude was balling and he was a straight up like construction worker before he started being a realtor. And we both had the same model of pretending to be part of this ownership group of investors, took down hundreds of deals for them, but he took it to a step where I did it. 
right? yeah. where he was like, I'm okay. He was okay with being a standard agent. I never was. And he just blew this thing up. That was just immense. And it's like, like you, they could be done today. Like an agent yeah. who's like, I don't really want to go door knocking for standard sales can go get themselves a good um, investor and could go do 20 or 30 deals a year as their agent and just have one built-in client. And like, that's the concept. Riches are in the niches. That is a niche that someone could work on. I think that until you've worked with an investor, though, the confidence to push someone on proof of funds and proof of, you know, their, their past, uh, you know, projects and things like that is difficult, right? Like you're just like, I want to keep them on the phone and I'm just going to say yes to whatever they say. Right. And so, and, and I, I laugh too, because before when you're like, well, this is how I would answer that. This is what I would say on the phone. And you got in like coach mode. Um, <laughs> I see what you're saying about your agents being like, oh, well, let me write that down. That makes sense. You know? Um, but yeah, I think that that's, that's what's difficult, right? Is for, for a new agent or for someone that's recently gotten into the business, that confidence in being like, all right, like, let's go. Let me ask these questions. Let me uncover, you know, kind of your history and, and what you want to do moving forward is a, is a difficult conversation. It, to. It, it is. So you know what? So they should just do the comps a few times. Yeah. Right. Like earn that investor's respect. So if they don't want to go right in and be like, you know, like obviously myself or you are going to be like, dude, who are you? Show me proof of funds. I'm going to look you, I'm going to look you up as I'm talking to you, but your corp name and be like, bro, you formed this six months ago. Like, shut up. Like stop, stop flossing right now. But if you're a young agent and you're looking, it's it's no different than door knocking, right? Like there's work that has to go into it. So like, yeah, Hey, I'll get you comps. You do it one, two, three times. Then you get to come back and say, Hey, I've put in work. I deserve, like, I deserve you to now show me some proof. I like, I, or you actually get them a lead, like, you know, and that you're like, Hey, now I need proof of funds. And then they, Oh, I don't actually have it because (laughs) let me get that together. Like, let me get my PDF editor put together so I can send you some. (laughs) Um, but so, I mean, it's, it's like, man, you probably have to, if I would like, as an agent, I would do. I would call my title company and I'd say, Hey, can I get a copy of closed cash buyers or private money buyers that have closed in the last 90 days, send it to me in an Excel format. And then I would sort by name and see if I could find like, Hey, ABC Inc Corp has bought 10 in the last 90 days. Wow. Who is this? And then start targeting. Like that's one way to find out who a legit person is. Now I would be careful and and just do some research to make sure they're not a buy and hold buyer. Cause like yeah. in your, your market, there's a ton of buy and hold buyers, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Cause some of the small buy and holds, they want finders, yeah. but I would, I would stick to flippers. I love flippers. Like, I just think, um, you know, flippers have, they can, I don't know. They're just more creative. You know, I, I work with buy and hold funds like you do. And it's kind of, they have one little box and it's got to fit right in that box or they don't yeah. deviate like me as a flipper. I might be like, well, that deal's a little tight, but Hey, if I do an addition, I can squeeze some force equity out of that. Like, okay, Katie, like, oh, I'm let's interested. do it. Let's go. Like, let's like yeah. a buy and hold guy is like, I need to make 8% on my, on my return day one. I'm not yeah. interested. Go find me more deals. Right. Yeah. So, for sure. um, no, I think that's super helpful. And I think that for anyone, especially new agents out there, um, helpful scripting and conversation to have, you know, with their next investor that calls, um, what would be our, right, I have two questions. So, okay. First question would be, what would be something that you would recommend to people to read or listen to or, you know, better their mind as far as like real estate investing? Like, is there, are there any podcasts you listen to or books you've read or anything like that, that you think 
<laughs> for, for those that are for those that are listening, he's pulling a book off of his bookshelf uh, <laughs> in slow motion. Yeah, uh, it'd be cooler if it was like my book. Like that felt like an intro to be like, "Well, thank you, Katie." Yes, um, how to make money by Jesse? No, I don't have a book. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki is the greatest book for investing of all time. Like it's, I wish I had something more creative to say because I think that's like the one we see on like you on Instagram videos. But it is the book that I read. You know. 19 years ago, 17 years ago, before I became an investor, when I was just a mortgage person and I was just understanding like what is good debt versus bad debt. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, we've all, I think have thought all debts, bad debt. Like you don't want to have debt. You want to have everything paid off. And it's like, well, there's nothing wrong with having no debt for sure. Right. More cash flow, but there is this, this idea and we're seeing it because of the lack of inventory we have. Like, why are people not selling houses? Cause they have 3% yeah. interest rates. That is what you technically could call good debt right now. Not defined in the book as good debt, but I would call it like it's so cheap yeah. that that makes cheap sense. Yeah. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then the second book, which is also part of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series, is called The Cash Flow Quadrant. Okay. It takes one of the chapters in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it really expands on it, um, on this you know idea of like assets and liabilities. And yeah. most realtors, it blows my mind like they know how to do some scripts. They know how to sign a listing contract. They, they probably are good marketers, but they're not business people. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how many people that are going to listen to this podcast. Like I'm going to ask a question, you know, send it to me on a DM on Instagram or to Katie. Like, do you have a personal financial statement for yourself that you update every single year? Like it's like a balance sheet, right? Like you don't have to have a ton of cash in the bank as long as your assets are increasing. So a personal finance, I have one for every single year. At December, I take a look and it's a snapshot of my finances. And it's like, I can go back seven or eight years and say like, okay, this is when I only had a net worth of a hundred grand, you know? Oh, and now I went to 400 grand. Oh shit. I went to a million. And then the next year it's like, Ooh, went down to 650. Where did I, where did I fuck up on that one? <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause it happens, but it's like, it's, it's Tom's like track your numbers yeah. in sales calls. This is track your finances in a two page document that just ask questions like, what are your liabilities? What are your assets? And it's not about cash in the bank. Yeah. Like a lot of people are like, I want to have 500,000 in a savings account. Cool. Cause you yeah. need a, res you need a reserve yeah. fund. Sure. But you can have 500,000 in equity by owning 10 houses in Tennessee yeah. that have a little bit of equity in each one. Right. Yeah. Like, so that's what cash flow quadrant, um, from the rich dad, poor dad series kind of taught me was understanding how to make this into a business not just the emotions of like, I want to buy real estate because Jesse said I should buy real estate. Yeah. It's like, why are we doing it? What's the end goal in mind? Yeah. Well, and I feel like so, for so many people, it's money in, money out, right? You're like, there's no, you know, let's let's build the net worth. Let's, let's buy assets that can continue to appreciate and stuff like that. So. Well, here, let, let me tell you, if you want to feel broke, be a flipper. <laughs> I will tell you, I've never met a flipper that actually feels rich because- yeah this addiction of like, I bought a property, I fixed it up. Okay. I'm selling it. Money's coming in. You want to deploy it again. Instantly find your next deal. Yeah. Right. So this, like you look at your bank account and like, I, I want to cry every other day. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I don't have enough money. But if I look at my PFS, my personal financial statement, I'm like, Oh shit. Like on paper, I've got a nice net worth. And like, that is why that PFS matters so much yeah. because everybody gets to a point where they kind of want to quit a little bit or go, is this working? And that's where it lets you know, like, okay, this is working. It's just, it's, it's a long play game. 
you know, the day I decide to stop flipping and I let my 11 flips just like, like right now, if I said in the next six months, I'm just going to dispo all these on the exit and not redeploy the money, I would be like, oh shit, I have a lot of money in the bank. Like this is cool. Right. But that does nothing for me because it, you know, except for we're getting 5% on a savings account now, but previously it was doing nothing for us in the bank. So PFS, 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 personal financial statement. I love it. All right. Last question. If it were your last meal on earth, what would you be eating? Oh man, I'm so plain. I'm such a basic bitch. Um, (laughs) It's going to be pizza. (laughs) Any particular topping or place? Oh God. Why are you making me sound so basic, Katie? Pepperoni. Like I'm basic. Like pepperoni pizza, a little bit well done because I like the pepperoni to be crispy. Uh, A local spot here in Claremont called Pizza and Such I love or another place in Laverne called Warehouse Pizza. Um, I probably eat pizza at least once a week, maybe twice. Um, I can, if I was on a you know deserted island, I could eat pizza every single day. Well, that's I when you said that you were basic, I thought you were gonna be like Papa John's or like Domino's <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's super. But no, I mean pizza from like a local spot, oh, like okay. that's that's a that's a good move. That's good. You're right because it's not a six dollar pizza; it's like a twenty dollar pizza. I mean, yeah. so it's yeah. yeah. All right, I'm a little bougie then in my pizza world. <laughs> you're hilarious. Hey, what All would right. you eat? I want to know what you would eat. I would eat either sushi or steak would be. I like steak too. Mm. You know, not rich enough for steak every day. Not yet. <laughs> go, go sell, go sell one of those properties. You know? <laughs> well, Hey, I'm looking to buy out of state. Like I'm totally going to do a pitch on you right now. If yeah. You got any, if you got any good deals, um, keep me as a buyer, but I'm like, I, I'm like the typical worst in Metro. I'm like, but I want a really good deal. Katie, <laughs> I want a deal that you want it for yourself, but for whatever reason, you're like, I'll just give this one to Jesse. <laughs> okay. I will keep an eye out. Rentals, rentals. Post it. Oh, you want like, you want not I want a, a flip. You I want, want a rental. House. Yeah. Not a flip. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm buying one in Tennessee right now. Uh, for like 90 grand. I just opened escrow on it yesterday. I'm just looking for like, I've been flipping for 10 years and I've not been holding, like I've got a random, you know, I'll keep this one here or there, but I'm not one of those dudes. It's like, I have 300 doors. And now that I'm 41, I've got nine years to being 50. uh, I'm like, okay, I need to get to my 300 doors so that I could be done at age 50 and have like a hundred thousand in passive income a month (laughs) or whatever the fuck it ends up being. Yeah. You're going to be making, it's going to be like way more than a hundred K. You're like, Oh wow. That was, that was a good idea. That was, no. wow. I was a genius. <laughs> All right. Well, I will keep an eye out. Um, Jesse, if someone isn't already connected with you, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Well, so at Instagram or Instagram at Jesse Rodriguez is my main social channel. Um, you know, everybody send me a DM, you know, I don't know, send the, send the word Katie, uh, into my DMs. So I know it's from the podcast so we can connect. Um, I'm with real, uh, this is officially the first time I've ever said it, Katie. So you didn't even ask for me to say it. And I said it. Um, so to all the real family out there, reach out to me. I've been a secret agent for the last few months. Nobody's known. Um, and yeah, I just send me a DM. Let's, let's start connecting. I am an investor. I'm looking to buy out of state. Um, if there's any deals, I would love to just be in your network, in your world. And I have tons of other investors in my world that I can connect you with. So I can help everybody make some money. I love it. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I feel like this is, uh, we should just do a show together, you know, I'm in, I mean, <laughs> talk shit for, you know, like 30, 40 minutes. I love it. You're organized. I'm not, I talk a lot. It's perfect. 
All right, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, Katie. It was so fun. Thanks for having me. You're the best. Uh, Anything you need, you know, I'm always here.